welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valley Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, uh, this week we're going to, I think as we head into the holidays, everybody's been grocery shopping and looking at um, food labels and so forth. And so I thought it was a good time to bring on my good friend, Natalie Wine, to talk a little bit about her experience in the meat industry and some of the food labeling she's experienced. So before we dive too far in, I'll let Natalie introduce herself and kind of her career and how it relates to food in general, but um, specifically the meat industry. Natalie? Hi, I'm Natalie. And um, my career started um, about four years ago when I went to Colorado State and um, I studied meat sciences um, with a concentration in food processing. And then about three years ago, I started at a meat packer out in Greeley, Colorado. And I am currently still working there as the research and development manager. And so we are a fur processor. So we are taking whole pieces of meat, breaking them down into portions marinated and they are for retail on here is retail um, which incorporates a lot of labeling great well we're excited to have you um, and I'm excited to finally turn our um, happy hour discussions into um, a podcast um, what can you maybe describe for listeners USDA's role in food labeling and some of their you know how how they monitor or regulate some of the food labels that we see in the grocery stores? Yeah, so um, in the grocery stores, you're going to see a few more um, labels than just USDA labels. Um, USDA labels are mostly primarily on meat products. And um, from that, uh, what occurs on before a product even gets to the grocery store is we have to um, basically lay out um, all of the ingredients that are in. It's about a hundred grams of a hundred to 112 grams of a serving of meat. And that incorporates the meat that incorporates the water or oils that are in the seasoning that includes the salt, the pepper, um, all of those seasonings that go into the product. And we have to, before we even can go to production, we have to uh, work with a label design company and work with a nutritional um, facts program and lay out how the labels look, uh, the calorie, the caloric intake, as well as carbs, and then um, what is on the front of the label, what is going to catch the um, consumer's eye. And so we have to get all together. We have to send that off to the USDA, and they have um, basically a scientific bait database out there that they are able to pull from falls within the parameters that we are labeling on the front of the label that's going to catch your eye at the grocery store 
is matching up with the back. So when you say catch the consumer's eye at the grocery store, are you talking like, you know, colors and, 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 you know, like the, the physical appearance or the words um, that are used to really catch a, a consumer's eye? Um, it can be a little bit of both. Um, it just kind of depends, you know, the range of consumers is very broad in that, you know, my five-year-old nephew is probably going to be attracted to the colors, the, you know, bright reds, bright yellows, um, where his mom is going to be more concerned about the wording on the label. Um, you know, uh, there is a big push right now for organic and grass-fed. Um, that is one of the defined, some of the defined uh, terms by the USDA and is throughout the whole process of making the product. Um, but some of the not uh, defined terms are low carb, um, keto friendly, whole 30. Uh, there's just, that's, there's not a box out there. Cause a low carb for me um, would be a little bit different. I'm about 4'11 is, so low carb for me is different than my brother who's six four. Um, so if I'm eating low carb and he's eating low carb, we're not necessarily eating the same amount of carbs. So there's no scientific definition of low carb is under this many calories. Okay. So does so you're talking you're you're talking about um, words that are allowed to be used by the USDA, and then there's ones that aren't necessarily um, regulated by the USDA. How are those just at the discretion of a, a company to use? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so a lot of the words. So from my branch, and I am not our regulatory manager. She digs deep, deep, deep of where we um, are able to use these words is if there is a scientific definition. And so when there's not a scientific definition, it could potentially, to throw a few more terms out there, it could potentially be um, FDA, uh, mm -hmm. which FDA is usually not in meat. Um, and, or it could be just not, uh, not certified. So it could not have a claim. Now you probably don't want to add produce your label approved by whatever government agent you're using. So we use the USDA. Okay. If that answers your question. Yeah. So one of my questions, I guess, is how is it regulated or how do we get labels put on? You know, natural is one that still, maybe you can clarify what natural is and how natural gets put on labels because for me, it's a very vague term. You know, maybe it is some preservative, maybe it is grass fed, maybe it's grass finished, you know, there's these different terms, but natural is always one that I'm never sure 
of what it quite means because to you it's different than me kind of like when we were talking about low carb but we see natural on a lot of products yeah so um natural usually from my perspective natural usually falls into the same kind of category as organic and grass-fed in that um natural is based on the upbringing and the life the lifestyle of the animal before it's been processed so um it definitely sometimes can be viewed um your your meat so like your meat block could be natural but maybe the rosemary or the salt or the pepper that is used to season that meat block, that might not be natural. Um, now it can be, but when you see the terms organic, grass-fed, natural, those are usually a little bit more costly. Um, but, you know, people are starting to pay uh, you know, per pound, a higher price for those things. Why do you think that is, Natalie? Is that the perception of food? Um, you know, it, it differentiates a little bit, and so they think, oh, well, this is, you know, I can afford this, so I'm going to do the one that's just a little bit better. Why do you know much about, you know, the consumer psychology of that? Um, you know, I, I don't have any like scientific data or studies based on that, but um, just, you know, being a consumer also myself and then just um, talking to people kind of as Val said, uh, a lot of happy hour conversations or cups of coffee and, um, you know, daily walks and stuff with people. Um, I, I, I do think that that is perceived as a healthier lifestyle um, because it's something it's seems as though it's something that we can control. And um, I think it would be very interesting to see kind of as we've navigated through this year and um, when people are able to, they can see it as a luxury and they will pay for it. But um, when money gets tight, I think the when it comes down to it, it is your own decision whether you are going to continue to buy organic, grass-fed, all-natural, um, or if you're just going to buy, you know, the 90-10 ground beef to make tacos and feed your family. And I'm not saying ground beef is bad. Um, ground beef is very hearty, and um, the conventional raising of animals is also um, very beneficial. The grass-fed and organic and natural are just very used marketing terms. Definitely. And they're kind of like the niche marketing we talked about with your family, Catherine, too, you know, finding that that little bit different that consumers are willing to pay for without, without taking away that, that conventional or that cheaper product that's still healthy, wholesome, safe. Um, it just gives some diversity to the marketplace, I think. 
Yeah. I also, uh, uh, kind of an interesting fact is, um, if you kind of look around the grocery store often, depending on how, um, what claim is being defined, um, you can tell based on the packaging of the product of what, um, what claim it is. So organic heavily, heavily uses green packaging. And I, I do think that um, they are playing off of some, you know, some psych psychological benefit of, um, ooh, green, this must be organic and this must be healthy. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, you know, psychology and packaging is, I've, I've done a little bit of reading on it or, you know, presentation of whatever the, the good may be in a retail establishment. And um, they certainly have done a lot of research on how to uh, draw people in towards whatever they want you to buy. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely think the um, packaging and the labeling, um, you, you can't compare apples to apples. So you can't compare um, the chip aisle and the drink aisle to the meat aisle, um, which I think does happen a lot. Um, Val and I have spent some time, we kind of sometimes uh, cruise up and down the grocery store aisle and kind of see kind of what is out there. Um, now, you know, we can't cruise as long. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So Natalie, talk to us about Fresh Never Frozen. Um, how, what, what is, what's behind all of that? Um, so Fresh Never Frozen would be, um, there's a, there's a few terms. Um, so I'm currently uh, working on a product that would be claimed Fresh Never Frozen, which goes based off of the temperature that the product is stored at. Okay. So um, what that means is that from the time the product leaves my facility and gets to the restaurant or, or yeah, the restaurant or the grocery store, and then at the grocery store, and then, you know, once it gets to your house, that's under your control. But once, so from that time in transit, it is in a refrigerated truck, not a frozen truck. And from that, I mean, I could get, we could just dig right into that little section right there of transit from our door to the consumer's door. Um, but what that means is a refrigerated truck versus a frozen truck. And then those two temperature, those two states also have three different temperatures that it can be defined as. And so based on how we have set up our um, SOP for the product is where you can claim those different temperatures. So ideally from the further processing, so the finished state to your plate means that it has never been frozen in between there. Now that affects 
the shelf life of a product in that it needs to be used sooner um, because when you freeze a product, you don't, you don't extend the shelf life per se, but you pause the shelf life. Mm-hmm. So um, say you have a product that has been processed and we're saying that from time of process to when you can eat it is 32 days, but we freeze it or you freeze it or the restaurant or retailer freezes it at day 14. So that, that's still, so when it goes into the freezer, it's gonna be at 14 days old. And then when it comes out of the freezer, then it's gonna be roughly at 14 days old. And then you can continue your timeline. Now, that shelf life is a really big deal in today's market for food service because they are having to keep product longer so they are going a little bit more towards the frozen end on food service right now um, just because they're not getting the volumes that they usually would be getting but retail you can't keep that off you you know they can't keep that on the shelf right now Um, and I know you guys had kind of talked about some of that in a few podcasts Um, But so to go back to the kind of fresh, never frozen, it's about the transit, but it is also some products we do because of um, the shelf stable and shelf life. We don't offer a a fresh, never frozen, Um, or sometimes they are kind of crust froze. So you just kind of, you um, freeze like the outside of the product and then um, it goes from there to the consumer. So you said, you said that like fresh never frozen is from the time of process, a further processing to the consumer. So if the primal say shows up to your company Mm -hmm. frozen, and then you go ahead and cut mm-hmm. it up and do your processing and then ship it, it can still be classified as fresh, never frozen. Correct. Um, and that is definitely a gray area. Um, but the fresh, never frozen claim is usually based on the end processor. So we, are not necessarily claiming that that would be your end processor. Um, so that would be, you know, your local hamburger uh, restaurant or um, your, you know, your grocery store. If they, they are claiming that. So a, to kind of go back into the labeling, often when I'm working on a product you know I know what's in the product and I've developed it and how I want to label it versus how the grocery store or the restaurant is different but they are the ones who you know I'm kind of a middleman they are selling it directly to the customer Um, so they're going to have more of 
the niche market and they're going to know more of what the consumer is going to exactly want. And then, so that's kind of where my job plays into it is I have to make sure, you know, with what exactly they want that I am within that box. And so um, that is one of the things is that it is from further processing. Um, but right now with how the meat market is going, uh, not a lot is coming in frozen. You're moving stuff so fast right now with, with COVID and people just wanting processing to happen that, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to keep product on the shelf, which is, I think, a great industry to be in, in, in 2020, really. Um, and we've been very fortunate. So, Natalie, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, is there anything you'd like to let the consumer know, last thing you want to let the consumer know about food labeling and the safety of our food, since you're right there in prime time, you know, processing, and you see kind of, I guess, the cake mixing of, of the meat industry, essentially? Yeah, uh, you know, the meat industry, we've been working very hard and I can tell you there's been a lot of long days and a, a lot of last minute, you know, turn this way, turn this way, you know, ebb and flow of uh, the industry, I think, and of the, you know, whole world right now that we're just trying to navigate every turn of this. But um I, you know, I am in it day in and day out, and I can tell you uh, that we, we are keeping up as of right now, and um, just trust your, no kind of pun intended, but trust your gut in what you want to purchase, uh, read labels front and back, um, and then, yeah, just let me know if you see anything that kind of catches your eye. Um, colors are really fun to kind of go through the grocery store and see. And then, um, yeah, just eat beef. <laughs> Always a great sentiment and one we echo heartily on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it runs deep in both of our bloods. And we love to always find people that, that sing some of the same mottos we do and, and can dive into a little different path. You know, we're, we're both more in the animal side or the manure management side sometimes. Um, but we appreciate the processing side as well. So thank you for joining us this week. And thank you listeners for tuning into this week's episode. If you found this interesting or have further comments on food labeling, um, feel free to drop us a link. Um, you can email us at talk to us at millennialag.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can DM us there. So until next week, we are Millennial Ag.